what made Coach Wooden so unique is how closely aligned his words and his actions were on a consistent basis. And that principles and people are more important than championships and rings. And I just said, Coach, what are these books? What's going on here? And he was studying all these different world religions uh, from, you know, the Hindu religion to the, to the Muslim religion. Uh, so interesting that at that point in his life, uh, when I asked why, he said, well, I'm trying to find the common ground uh, between all these different faiths and religions. Uh, we know about the fractures and the divides and the destruction uh, that those differences have caused through all of time in various civilizations. Uh, but what he was after was finding, again, uh, the common threads uh, that brought all these faiths together. This guy comes in, and I've met a lot of Coach Wooden's players through the years. And I had not met this guy named John Valley. And he walks in and he says, you know, I'm John Valley. I do uh, dribble for the cure. And he sits down across from me and he says, I've been married 38 years because of what Coach Wooden taught me. Um, I've started three successful wow. businesses because of what Coach Wooden taught me. I've conquered cancer three times because of what Coach Wooden taught me. And, you know, I'm sitting up in my chair at this point. And then he says, I've even survived the death of my 12-year-old daughter because of the tools that Coach Wooden gave me. And now i got tears in my eyes, right? And he just said, I'm the man I am because of UCLA basketball and Coach Wooden. This is the Give Me a Sense Podcast. Here's Mike Yale. End of message. Being a college basketball guy, you always hear stories from a lot of the analysts that I've worked with and even being around current players and, and coaches. There's always these things that are happening off the court that impact their play when they're out there or the decisions that they make on the sidelines. And I think one guy who has always told me great stories, you can hear and really feel the impact that, uh, you know, John Wooden had as one of his mentors is Steve Lavin, who I've been lucky enough to work with at ESPN and obviously at the Pac-12 network as well. Lav as a head coach has been nothing short of spectacular. 11 seasons at the helm, uh, actually 12 total seasons at UCLA, seven of those years coming as the head coach with the Bruins, six tournament appearances, five Sweet 16s, an Elite Eight in his coaching career, 10 postseason appearances in those 11 seasons, the job that he did at St. John's also remarkable. And I couldn't think of a better person to, to speak to about John Wooden than Steve Lavin, who joins us here on the podcast. Uh, Coach, always great to have a conversation with you. Not a pleasure to be with you, Mike. Uh, and by the way, uh, I know one of your uh, – a person who you were friendly with because she was an assistant at UCLA, Corey Close, who is now the current head coach of the women's team with the Bruins. She's going to be joining the show a little bit later because I know she's had uh, had some great interaction with John Wooden over her time. But I thought it was important to to really spend some time with you and, and talk to you about the impact that, that coach had on your career. I mean – the resume is remarkable. Everyone's going to talk about the 10 national titles in 12 years, um, seven straight championships, the 88-game winning streak. Is there something that you would point to as, as really the more remarkable accomplishment that, that he gave the game of basketball? Longevity uh, would be you know, near the top in terms of being able to coach and have success in the 1940s the 50s, the 60s, uh, into the mid-70s. Uh, when you think of the change uh, in terms of our society uh, through those decades, and yet Coach Wooden's teachings, uh, his principles in terms of molding championship-level basketball teams um, is what's really special uh, because naturally uh, he coached players that were serving uh, our country, protecting our freedoms uh, on the GI Bill. Uh, so there were players at Indiana State uh, that had served, as he did, in the Navy, uh, but he was now coaching them as a young head coach. And then, of course, uh, through the Korean War and the Vietnam War, uh, you think about civil rights, um, the sexual revolution, the drug generation, uh, there were, uh, you know, a number of different things happening uh, in our country. And yet uh, somehow John Wooden with these kind of old school principles and teaching methods uh, was able to continue to bring out the best both in individuals 
uh, in terms of getting them closer to the full expression of their potential as student athletes, but also building teams. And I think that goes back to the fact he began as an English teacher um, first in Dayton, Kentucky, and then in South Bend Central uh, High School in Indiana, and then was in the service and then at Indiana State, and of course UCLA for the great run. And even after uh, his remarkable coaching run, uh, he continued or continued to be a great ambassador, a diplomat for the game. You know, it's funny because you mentioned some of the things that he did socially, and I, I, I'm not aware. I mean, I always think of, you know, it's weird because, you know, a while back, obviously, Muhammad Ali and, and when he passed away, there's so many people that, that talk about his, his legacy. And I always found it fascinating that the one thing that when you read about Ali, the one thing no one talks about is his boxing. Everyone talks about the impact that he had socially, and yet you just brought that up with Coach Wooden. What was it? Is there something maybe specific that you could maybe point to that 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 shows that impact that he had away from hoops? You know, um, for starters, you know he had this uh, wonderful uh, sense of of, of balance. Um, I, you know, there there was a flexibility in his thinking and his teaching, and I'm sure that you know, is a result of being grounded in his faith. Uh, and yet uh, he was never, you know, pushing uh, his particular faith as a Christian uh, on his players, uh, but instead through his example, I think inspired some to follow uh, in his footsteps in, in terms of uh, their their relationship with, uh, with God and their spirituality. Uh, but he made it clear that he didn't feel the locker room uh, was a place or as a head coach uh, at a public university like UCLA, uh, it, was, it was not his place to try and push uh, a particular faith. Um, but instead, these more golden rules uh, or principles that run through all faiths. Um, but he understood uh, the importance of kind of separation, uh, the church and state uh, kind of approach to things. And yet if someone seeked out and asked, you know, an individual question to him in terms of where his inspiration, um, you know, came from in terms of his faith, um, you know, he would uh, clearly, you know, profess and, and tell his particular story, um, but did not want to push it on others because he was sensitive to the fact that he was working at a place like UCLA and with the diversity um, of, of different faiths, uh, even within his locker room, you know, that he'd be coaching a a Jewish player and, and coaching a, a uh, uh, you know, someone of Muslim faith. And uh, so, you know, that showed to me uh, the, how progressive coach Wooden was. And yet he was grounded in these old school principles having been born in 1910, um, you know, literally model T's and, and uh, you know, things along those lines from uh, coming from the state of Indiana. But then there was this other progressive side uh, where he was really blazing a trail. I'll give you another example every spring, he would take a class in psychology. He would audit the class, not for a grade, but just to sit in, take notes, and to learn from the top professors in psychology because he knew coaching and really life for that matter was psychology. And he was continuing to get older, but the young people that he was responsible for continued to always be between 19 or 18 and 22 years old. And he wanted to close that gap uh, so that, again, shows an openness and a flexibility, a certain humility, and also an interest. Uh, I call him the greatest eternal learner. He just had this appetite for knowledge. Uh, one of the last times I visited him, his apartment in Encino, uh, shortly before he passed, he had all these books cut out in his den, the office in his apartment. And uh, there were notes and um you know, on the, on the, on the sides of the pages. And, and I just said, coach, what are these books that's going on here? And he was studying all these different world religions uh, from, you know, the Hindu religion to the, to the Muslim religion. Uh, so interesting that at that point in his life, uh, when I asked why he said, well, I'm trying to find the common ground uh, between all these different faiths and religions. Uh, we know about the fractures and the divides and the destruction uh, that those differences have caused through all of time in various civilizations. Uh, but what he was after was finding, again, uh, the common threads uh, that brought all these faiths together. 
uh, and, and made them more similar than they were different. And that just, again, speaks to his natural curiosity. It speaks to his interest in the spiritual dimension. Um, and again, just someone that had that appetite uh, for knowledge. What about coach as a basketball mind? Because you're you're painting a picture of a guy, you know, Allah Abdelnabi was our third guest on the podcast, and he was talking to me about Coach K, and he brought up that psychology aspect and said, hey, you know, this is a guy that studied that when he was at West Point. You just brought that link up in my mind with Wooden, what he did away from basketball. But what about, I mean, obviously you have to be, a great coach. You don't win 88 straight games. You don't win 10 national titles. I mean, that's just, that's unheard of. You're a great coach. But yet, you know, someone like myself never watched him coach. I didn't see what those teams, other than the old school footage, when you you watch some of those classic games, what was it about coach that made him a great basketball X's and O's guy? Well, he had a similar appetite uh, for learning uh, the technical aspect of the game. And then because of his background in teaching and in education, uh, his ability to articulate uh, and present information with clarity uh, to get the results, basically build better basketball habits, uh, inculcate his teams uh, with the technical knowledge and the fundamentals uh, that are necessary to, to be successful uh, at the highest levels of basketball. And, uh, Again, his teaching background, first as an English teacher and then as a coach for so many years, um, he would talk about the laws of learning, uh, both explanation uh, as well as being able to demonstrate. So explanation, demonstration, and then repetition, doing it over and over and doing it uh, the proper or correct way. So you're building a good habit and not a bad habit. So it was kind of a perfect practice habits uh, by doing things paying attention to detail and doing things the right way. It was his ability uh, to get his teams to a level uh, where they could quickly and properly uh, execute the fundamentals of the game under duress uh, with, you know, uh, the great expectations of, of, um, you know, playing at UCLA, but his teams were able to do that more consistently than others. How how many years did you spend around him? Uh, 20 total, and, and we had a number of kind of common uh, threads or commonalities uh, that, that was one of the reasons that, that led to the friendship we had. Uh, I had worked as an assistant coach at Purdue for three years under Gene Cady in the Big Ten, and John Wooden grew up in Martinsville, Indiana, and attended Purdue University, where he was a three-time All-American. Yeah and uh, played with the Boilermakers. Um, so from 28 to 1932, uh, worst four years uh, at Purdue. So when I was hired uh, from Purdue uh, to come out to UCLA and work with Jim Eric as an assistant, uh, we naturally talked about the Indiana State Championship. Uh, we talked about Purdue, the Big Ten, Coach Katie. Uh, and then also my father was an English teacher and Coach Wooden was an English teacher. And my father's teams at the University of San Francisco, when he played under Pete Newell and Phil Woodward, actually faced John Wooden's UCLA teams. Uh, so, again, there was another common reference there. Wow. And then, of course, UCLA as an assistant and UCLA as a head coach, uh, John Wooden was, and, and I became a head coach there. So uh, just a number of different uh, levels where we uh, shared some common interests, and yet we were generations apart. Uh, he was a wonderful kind of ally and friend and mentor. Um, I said before, almost a personal Mr. Miyagi that I could turn <laughs> to at different stages of my career. And uh, who better to advise an aspiring coach uh, than John Wooden? So what, what are those conversations like oh, away from basketball? Obviously, you I'm sure you went to, to coach and you had a friendship with him. So it's not just how do I get this kid? Who's the you know, what do you do in these situations? You know, are we are we a man to man or are we a zone defense? team? I'm, I know it's beyond that. Mm-hmm. What are the those those quiet conversations that you guys had? What were they like? Most of the time when you visited with Coach Wooden, uh, he would touch on you know, universals, um, you know, elements or aspects of life that transcend sport. Uh, Yet he understood that sport in its purest form was an ideal way uh, to teach, uh, really the perfect metaphor uh, for teaching young people. 
in other words, through basketball, through sport, um, we're able to learn these important traits or skills uh, that will help us navigate life beyond the game itself and the attention to detail, uh, the loyalty, uh, work ethic, uh, being a good teammate, you know, finding ways to add value, uh, using ingenuity and resourcefulness uh, to help a team. Uh, so he would often touch on Shakespeare, uh, Walt Whitman, it might be Mills Brothers, uh, Mills Brothers lyrics, uh, Thoreau, Martin Luther King, uh, Gandhi, Abraham Lincoln, Mother Teresa. Uh, he would, you know, touch on these really either inspiring people uh, or pull from literature or scripture uh, as a way to teach. And he would connect the dots in a very effective manner so you could see the relevance of these wonderful people. Uh, Lincoln, for instance, you know, he loved to quote Lincoln and Churchill. And one of the great Lincoln quotes, he would say, is the greatest thing we can do for those we love is to not do for them what they're capable of doing for themselves. Greatest thing we can do for those we love is to not do for them what they're capable of doing for themselves. And really, that's parenting. That's teaching. That's coaching. That's leadership or management of people is helping them, uh, you know, down the road in terms of getting closer to the full expression of their potential. Uh, but also not being a crutch, so allowing for some struggle, uh, allowing uh, for people to fall down uh, but pick themselves up, uh, but also being there when necessary because of the unconditional love and because you care about them uh, to step in at times if there needs to be intervention, uh, whether that's encouragement, putting the arm around someone and giving them some love, or providing the courage when they don't have it themselves uh, through encouragement, uh, or when to be tough you know, and uh, draw the line in terms of inbounds, out of bounds and discipline or taking away certain privileges, uh, whether it's practicing or games or uh, even ultimately being kicked off the team. Uh, but uh, I'd say it was his ability to uh, inspire. And when you left the apartment, you realized we talked so little about basketball, but you talked about life, fundamentals, uh, these ABCs or one, two, threes, uh, really matters uh, in terms of relationships and building trust and trying to bring out the best in the young people you're working with. And so I would go back to campus uh, inspired uh, on cloud nine and uh, renewed kind of energy and more clarity and a sense of purpose uh, as a head coach because you would spend time uh, with John Wooden. Corey Close, who is the, the head coach of UCLA's women's basketball team, she's coming up in just a couple minutes. Lev, what about with regard to your coaching career? I'm sure that there are fingerprints that Wooden has all over it. What's the best piece of, of advice he gave you in terms of being a, a head coach? You know, I think it was the example he set for having uh, this insatiable appetite to learn and also the humility uh, to keep a flexible approach, both in terms of what you do offensively and defensively, uh, in terms of uh, how you're going to work with individual players because each player is different, uh, each team is different. And so that flexible approach and thinking uh, is what I uh, probably pulled from John Wooden, as well as the kindness. Uh, he's a gentle, a kind, a compassionate, a loving person. And uh, naturally, he had the you know stern taskmaster uh, side to him uh, when necessary. And uh, it was clear there were delineations, there were lines in terms of what's acceptable and not acceptable in terms of conduct or how you represent it. Uh, the program and your family um, and UCLA. One other interesting aspect was, you know, his teams are so even keel uh, and coach Wooden's temperament, his bearing on the sidelines uh, was, was very even keel. He didn't want the peaks or valleys emotionally. That's one of the reasons uh, why I think his teams performed in such a consistent manner. They were such a buzzsaw because they put their energy uh, on the task at hand uh, there was no wasted emotional fuel. 
and he even said that he would prefer if someone came to a game and the horn sounded and his team was walking off the floor, uh, they wouldn't be able to tell whether his team had won or lost because he didn't want undue emotion attached to that victory uh, or unnecessary emotion attached to that defeat. But instead, uh, it is what it is, and we learn and we move forward uh, from that prior experience, and we have to stay in the present or the moment, and that's how we create a better tomorrow. Uh, but so how much celebrating was there? Very, he, he didn't believe in celebrating. He, uh, it, was, it was the self-satisfaction knowing we did the job well. Uh, but he thought from a sportsmanship standpoint, uh, he didn't want the showmanship. Mm. And uh, he just felt the way. He, and, and so his sideline demeanor was similar to Tom Landry or, um, yeah, yeah. you know, Walter Alston, um, you know, come to mind, a Bill Walsh. Um, you know, he was really focused on the task at hand. That's why he didn't see uh, the real range and emotion. What uh, what would he think? And I know, actually, I shouldn't even say that. But before he passed away, I know he was still going to games. What did he make of of the way the game has changed? I mean, look, I think even back to when you were. I mean, you had Baron Davis, B Diddy was one sure. of your guys who was. Yeah. I mean, you had you had a ton. You had a ton of talented guys, but this was it's a different brand of basketball. I mean, you can even make the case now how the game has evolved over time. What was his reaction to some of the changes that we've seen throughout the course of decades with the change of hoops? Well, number one, uh, he didn't didn't like the uh, the degree of dribbling. Uh, he thought there was you know too much dribbling and too much. <laughs> Wasn't a big and one mixtape guy. <laughs> not at all and uh so yeah he preferred you know the, the passing uh the, the cutting and uh the teamwork you know like uh, good musicians uh, creating a symphony or jazz musicians uh, making jazz hitting on all the right notes and creating that synergy as a unit and so he didn't like it when one player was dominating uh the dribble and the other players were standing around and watching uh, that one player uh, perform with the dribble. Uh, he loved John Stockton because that was purposeful use of the bounce uh, with Stockton's ball handling and the ability to share the basketball with precise passing and become arguably the greatest passer in the history of the sport. When you look at the numbers, assist to turnover, uh, they're up there uh, as the best. Um, he also liked women's basketball. Um, he thought the the women's college game and the WNBA was a more clean game that resembled basketball in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. Uh, there was more focus on fundamentals and more focus on teamwork, and the game was played below the rim. There was less emphasis on the dunk or the spectacular play. Um, so, and he, he never, uh, you know, liked the showmanship uh, aspect of, of basketball. Uh, he wanted that whole you know, kind of humble, consistent um, approach in, in his teams. Well, I'm glad you bring up the, the women's basketball game because the head coach of the UCLA women's team is Corey Close. She's going to be popping on in just a couple seconds here. Coach, you guys, you know each other. Um, you guys were both at UCLA at the same time. She was uh, a member of that staff. I think it was like 94, 95, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. She was an assistant there. Do you have a good Corey Close story as, as we get ready to get her on? Yeah, more than one particular story, you know, Corey was an assistant for Kathy Olivier when I was an assistant for Coach Herrick. And so we spent a lot of hours together in the office late night uh, talking basketball, talking philosophy of the game. And at one point I asked if she'd like to come out and see Coach Wooden. He jumped at the opportunity and was even a little nervous, like she was going to see the Wizard of Oz or uh, going to visit the President of the United States. And she was like, really? I can go? And, of course, we went out. And uh, they struck up a wonderful friendship and uh, sustained that uh, throughout her coach uh, up until Coach Wooden's passing. And um, now she's the head coach at UCLA, one of the rising stars, but not surprising because she had that curiosity, uh, that insatiable appetite we talked about earlier for knowledge, not just in coaching, but in life. And she cares authentically about young people 
And that's such an important aspect, too. And Coach Wood would touch on that, how important it is uh, to be yourself. And uh, you can learn from others. You can emulate certain aspects. Uh, you could borrow just like a good recipe to add to your own cookbook. Uh, we do that in basketball in terms of borrowing different elements, different wrinkles in the offense or adding certain dimensions to our defense. Uh, you have to, you know, continue to grow and evolve as a coach uh, with the trends of the game uh, or you're going to get left behind. Uh, but she had that. Corey Close uh, was someone that was interested and engaged and wanted to be a teacher, an educator, and a mentor for young people. And so she seeked out the best in John Wooden, uh, as anyone that uh, has an interest in coaching should do. Lav, uh, you are one of my favorite people to, to talk to. Uh, I cannot thank you enough for, for stopping by, sharing some of your memories and your stories about uh, what made John Wooden great. Uh, so once again, thank you so much for the time. Ah, thanks, Mike. It's always a pleasure, and I look forward to getting together down the line to do it again. Well, joining us now on the show, you heard Coach Lavin make reference to, to Corey Close, who is now the head basketball coach for the women's team at UCLA and a heck of a player in her own right, too, at UC Santa Barbara. First player in school history, 1,000 points, 500 assists, which is not surprising to me because she has such a giving personality as well. Coach, it is great to have you on with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Did you like scoring or passing better? Well, passing for sure, but I, I, I think I get better. I think my stats even get better through the years. I, you know, I don't remember being that good, but um, no, I loved facilitating, and sort of probably why I love coaching is I really, I really love to set people up and pass the ball, and, and that's, that's always been my joy. Well, it's funny because I think basically listening to Coach Lavin talk about Coach Wooden and that philosophy that he's had, I know Lav made reference to the fact that uh, in a lot of ways Coach Wooden probably would like the women's game a little bit more because it's mostly played under the rim compared to what we're seeing nowadays on the men's side. But Lav just made reference to that first time that you you met John Wooden. Take me through sort of what that experience was like because there is you know it's John Wooden you talk about the 10 national championships yeah. and what he's meant to college basketball well let me tell you uh John or, or Steve Lavin I mean I just I'm so thankful to him because honestly I would I don't know if I would have been mentored by John Wooden if it wasn't for Steve uh I remember you know begging Steve to take me um you know for the first nine months I was at UCLA we were both assistant coaches together and the reality was I was begging, begging, and then when it actually happened, I was so scared. Uh, he was like, he, he said, come on, we're going tonight. And I was like, what? Uh, I'm, you know, I'm in sweats. I'm, you know, and I just was like, just like a scared little kid. But the reality um, was that I, well, I walked to the door, and I was literally sweating. I mean, I was just dripping sweat. And I got to the door, and Coach Wooden said, who are you? And I said, well, my name is Corey. And he goes, how do you spell that? And I said, C-O-R-I, and I think my voice was shaking. And he said, oh, my goodness, you're the first person I've ever met to spell it like my great-granddaughter, Corey. Come right in. And he showed me this stool that he had right near his den that spelled C-O-R-I. And I thought, what if I'd spelled it C-O-R-E-Y? Maybe the next 15 years would have been for not. I don't know. Um, but that was just a really fun uh, opportunity. And I don't know if I said another word the entire time I was there that first Tuesday, but I pretty much went back every other Tuesday for the rest of my time at UCLA. And then when I went back to Santa Barbara for nine years, I'd go down at least once a month to visit coach. And, and really, I, I owe all that to Steve Lavin. And he really set me up to, to facilitate that relationship. Wow. So once a week at your time and then once a month when you had left UCLA. What, so, I mean, you, you head there. What do you guys talk about? I mean, I, I got to think it's more than just basketball if it's that frequent. I would say that it was hardly ever about basketball. I mean, some, sometimes it was, but that was sort of the, the incredible, um, I don't know, the specialness of what Coach Wooden was, is that um, it was all about basketball, but never about basketball at the same time. You know, when you talk about excellence, when you talk about building young men and women, when you talk about relationships, when you talk about um, making each day your masterpiece, when all of those things that exemplify Coach Wooden's philosophy, uh, it really all spills over into basketball. It's just not given that language. Um, you know, I think that's what made him so beautiful is that, you know, I'll, I'll tell a story of my fourth day on the job at UCLA is this guy comes in, and I've met a lot of Coach Wooden's players through the years. And I had not met this guy named John Valley. And he walks in and he says, you know, I'm John Valley. I do uh, dribble for the cure. 
and he sits down across from me and he says, I've been married 38 years because of what Coach Wooden taught me. Um, I've started three successful wow. businesses because of what Coach Wooden taught me. I've conquered cancer three times because of what Coach Wooden taught me. And, you know, I'm sitting up in my chair at this point. And then he says, I've even survived the death of my 12-year-old daughter because of the tools that Coach Wooden gave me. And now i got tears in my eyes, right? And he just said, I'm the man I am because of UCLA basketball and Coach Wooden. And I just was stunned. And he ended up leaving, and I went to look him up. And, oh, yeah, by the way, I also was a starting guard on two of his national championship teams. And, oh, by the way, I played in the NBA for eight years. And I thought to myself, That's, that actually right then and there is what precipitated my vision. Anything less than that was just shallow, you know. And But it, he was an incredible basketball player but it paled in comparison to the man he became as a result of playing for John Wooden. And that's sort of how – that's a reflection of what we always talked about, is we talked about life, we talked about relationships, we talked about what was going on with his family and, and my family and what maybe some of my obstacles were in coaching and um, how could I be better. And it really was just a friendship. But it's a friendship with this man that had these nuggets of wisdom every time he opened up his mouth. And I just tried to listen and keep my mouth shut as much as possible. You're you're echoing so many of the the thoughts and observations that that Lav made reference to a little bit earlier on the podcast. Is there something, I don't know, it seems like from listening to you speak about your relationship with him and Steve doing the same, it seems like you guys got so much away from basketball, this sort of life philosophy aspect. Is there one one major theme that that resonates every single day uh, throughout the course of your life that that Coach Wooden sort of... Parted on you. I've been asked, yeah, I've been asked that several times, and that 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 word "one" just trips me up because <laughs> I, it's really hard to narrow. Um, you know, I, I just think um, the pervasive thought is that um, you know, excellence and people and principles are not a one-time deal. They're a lifestyle choice. They're habits, and you know, Covey later coined them as habits of excellence. Um, but you know. I think it's a lot of people sound good. I mean, you know, you and I are around some great coaches and some really amazing people, and a lot of people sound good. But what made Coach Wooden so unique is how closely aligned his words and his actions were on a consistent basis. And that principles and people are more important than championships and rings. And I think that's probably what I, you know, really took away is that, you know, the principles in which you um, set for the standard of your life need to govern your life no matter what, whether it's comfortable, whether it's um, into your benefit or not. Um, and it, people always come before things. And, um, you know, and I can say that. I can roll off my tongue. But the challenge is to make that a consistent practice no matter what in your life. And that's what Coach Wooden did on just, uh, he, just such a consistent basis. Coach, what do you think his his proudest achievement was? Because I think there's so many things that you can point to that are basketball related. And I made this analogy earlier with with Lav where, you know, Muhammad Ali passes away and everyone talks about him, but it has nothing to do with boxing. And I feel like speaking to Lavin and hearing you talk about John Wooden, there's not much basketball in there. It's it's more about him as a person. So I'm just curious, like you, you spent obviously so much time with him. Is there something that you think maybe he told you or you would point to that it was clearly his biggest biggest accomplishment? You know, there's two things that made his eyes light up. And one was just telling the stories of what his young men were doing with their lives. And the last time he got to see him, whether it was the time that Sven Nader sent him a, um, you know, at that time it was a tape. That tells you how old, um, you know, we are. But um, that sent him a tape of his singing or whether it was when Mike Warren just came over or that Bill Walton really calls him on a consistent basis and really, you know, invests in that relationship. That when he got to have contact with his young men or tell the stories of what they were doing with their lives and never did I hear them talk about hear him him talk about you know what the guys were did on the court i mean it just it really just paled in comparison for coach um but you know that that made his eyes light up and then him as a father as a husband when he talked about his dear wife nelly um you know it was captivating um i remember um i took my team when i was at uh uc santa barbara and i would try to take our team down every year just to spend an afternoon with them and and Lab was right. He, he really did love the women's game. He loved um, the way it was played. He loved the purity and the joy in which it was still played with. 
Um, and so he was really gracious to let me do that almost every year. And one time I took this team down, and one of my players asked to use the restroom, and she <laughs> went back, and one of them in the hallway wasn't working, so he said, go back into my room and use the restroom. And so he goes back, she goes back, and then she comes back out, and tears are just streaming down her face. And, and he, she, I said, Tane, what's wrong? And she goes, have you seen his room? And I said, yeah. And she goes, he still puts the robe out of his wife, and, and he still writes her love letters, and they're stacked on the pillow next to his, his pillow. And she's like, I just, she goes, oh, I could only find a love like that, you know. And, and his, it's just there was nothing that um, made his eyes light up, like being a father, being a husband, as the um, incredible pride he had in mentoring and teaching the young men that were under his supervision. You mentioned those letters. I, I mean, look, I think a lot of people know the story, and, and some people that are listening to this podcast right now might not know, but you can probably fill us in better than anyone. The, what I've heard is every day after she passed away, he'd write her another letter. Is that accurate? Mm -hmm. That is accurate. Wow. He would write her... I don't know what time of day I used to know that there was a real routine to it, but yeah, he would write a letter to her uh, handwritten and then he would stack it up and he had this rubber band around them and he would prop her picture up, um, all sort of against the pillow. And he would of course make the bed meticulously. And then he would, he would put her picture there and then he would spread her robe out and then he would stack the letters right in front of her picture. And uh, he just, you know, he just really, and he was very honest about it. It was a very dark time for him when she passed. And um, he, he just, he took that really, really hard, but he just always, he was so in love with her and he was so committed and he just wanted to keep that love alive. So he wrote her every day. Is he a fun guy? I mean, I think coaches, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, just... I think that gets lost a lot because everyone's so philosophical about him. You know, yeah. he, I'm, you know, I remember um, actually, you know, with Steve Lavin, it was so fun. I would go over there, and at that time, Steve was single, and you know, he was this, you know, hot coach, and he was yeah, doing all these things, and it was hilarious. I used to go down into his office, and um, we had these cubicles in the Morgan Center, and I would tease him because I was on the second floor, and I could see down into his cubicle at that time. And I would joke, and I would go down to his cubicle. I'd sit in the chair in his office, and I'd say, is there something magical here? And he's like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, I don't know. Something this chair does, because there's a different girl they're rotating through all the time coming to visit you. And so I would tease Steve Lavin that. But I was not the only one to tease Steve. Coach Wooden was hilarious. He would walk in, and he'd be like, Steve, well, what's the deal? Do you have a girlfriend? What happened? I heard you broke up with your girlfriend. He goes, yeah, Coach, I broke up with my girlfriend. And, and Coach Wooden says to Steve, Hey, have you looked in the mirror lately? I mean, you're not exactly getting any younger, and you're not getting any cuter. And so he would tease a lot, and people don't know how, you know, sort of fun-spirited he was, and he liked to poke fun, but he had a really sort of dry, quick-witted sense of humor. And I think some people that d didn't really know him get lost, that he's like this, you know, uh, this prophetic guy and the philosophical guy, and he might wear a robe or something as he speaks. He wasn't like that at all. He's just down-to-earth a very funny guy who would uh, who loved to laugh and have a good time. You know, it's funny because you mentioned Lab, and I think in my career now, I've worked with two guys that have this crazy ability to work a room. Like, I, and they're both coaches. And I, I say to myself, how could they ever lose a recruit? And that one is Steve Lavin. And I look at all the success that he's had um, as a head coach and all the players that he's been able to, uh, to make an impact on. And the other guy is another UCLA guy and Rick Neuheisel. I never, I never can envision Rick or Lav going into a living room and then that kid not wanting to play for them. It's crazy. I know. It's... Well, I mean, I agree. I mean, they're just, they're both captivating personalities. And, you know, they both are, have a warmth about them. And I think there's a realness also that, uh, about um, both Steve and Rick. But I, I obviously, I worked um, alongside Rick for one year when I came back to UCLA. And when I was an assistant way back in 93, 95, he was a wide receivers coach then. But Steve... I mean, he is like, he's just got this way. I mean, it's hard even to describe. Like you said, you know, he just, he can work a room. And, um, but I think if it wasn't sincere, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be able yeah. to work a room the way he does. And no, I think I, that is what I've appreciated about Steve is that he's, he's real. He's real. He's honest. He's warm. He's, 
uh, gregarious, um, but it isn't uh, with pretense or arrogance. He does have, he has a fun sense of humor, but he's got humility about him, and, and that's really a, a wonderful combination. No, no, I totally agree with you. And like I said, I've been fortunate enough to work with both of those guys for an extensive period of time. I, you know, Coach, I know your coaching career has taken you from really both sides of the country. And I'm curious on the East Coast, how much that legacy of Wooden, because, you know, I grew up in the Northeast and, mm-hmm. you know, John Wooden, you get UCLA basketball, you understand it's a brand. Then I moved to San Francisco to be at the Pac-12 networks. And I really understand just how significant this legacy truly is. And and more so because on the West Coast, there's an East Coast bias. I say that all the time. I didn't think it was that bad until I moved out here. But I, I'm curious in your coaching career, how, how maybe that legacy is perceived on the other side of the country. You know, it's interesting. I, I definitely don't think there's as deep of an awareness, um, you know, in the Southeast as there is, you know, obviously – uh, in Southern California or in just in the West in general. But, um, you know, it really was fun. I mean, I, I, I consider myself sort of his ambassador. I mean, you know, as soon as anybody's forced to do a little homework, um, they're like blown away, you yeah. know. And one of the things that was cool for me is I was at Florida State. And so, um, and I have a, it's this really fun part. And then it was a really uh, difficult part is that one of my dreams was that I wanted Coach Wooden always wanted to meet Bobby Bowden and Bobby Bowden always wanted to meet Coach Wooden. And every time I would come, you know, to visit the other, and Bobby Bowden met with all of our recruits when I was at Florida State, is I would tell a story about the other. And it was really fun because there was such a deep mutual respect for each other. And people used to call Bobby Bowden. I mean, Bobby Bowden finished in the top 15 or top five in the country for 14 straight years. And, I mean, that's really staggering, you know, in football. And top five for 14 straight years is pretty amazing. And, you know, it's only Coach Wooden on the basketball side has had that kind of consistent in a condensed period of time success. And my biggest regret is that we weren't ever able to make that happen. Um, But I remember this story where I took two – I took our recruiting coordinator for football, John Lilly, and one of our assistant coaches at Florida State, Lance White, both – also know how to work a room, great personalities, not afraid to talk to anyone. And I tried to warn them. I was like, you know, um, when you fly out, um, you're going to want to prepare some questions because I don't care um, who you are, everyone I know gets tongue-tied. So, and they're like, whatever, you know, come on, Corey, you know, that's, we're fine. I mean, we do this for a living. Come on, you know. And, you know, John Lilly's like, I work for the John Wooden of football. I'm going to be okay. And I was like, okay, I'm just warning you. And we get to Coach Wooden's house. We fly out there. I mean, we're literally going across the country just to meet um, with Coach Wooden. And, of course, we come into, um, you know, his little apartment on Encino, and we go up the elevator and we walk into this, you know, typical, stereotypical old man's apartment with these incredible knickknacks everywhere and you would have thought these two guys had never said a word in their life and we got there at about 1 <laughs> and i i swear to you i carried the conversation just kept asking questions until we left for dinner about close to five o'clock and oh, finally man. at about 4 30 they started to warm up and remembered they could speak but um literally here are these guys that you know recruit on a national level that are some of the best coaches in the country in their prospective sports and they were completely overwhelmed but that tells me that Coach Wooden's legacy is not just a West Coast thing. I mean, these guys understood the legend in which they were stepping into to spend time with. And, um, you know, I, I don't think it's pre- as prevalent, but I think you're right. Like anything else, I don't think the people on the East Coast are as aware of the things on the West Coast for lots of reasons, um, which could be a whole other podcast. But I oh, think yeah. the reality is is that um, anybody who does a little homework, and I think for me at Florida State, there was such a comparison between Bobby Bowden and um, John Wooden. I had the really unfortunate or fortunate opportunity that, to sort of tell his stories uh, to that community, um, how I knew them, and they really appreciated it because they knew what they had in Coach Bowden. Coach, you made reference to going to see Coach Wooden every Tuesday and then visiting him once a month when when you left UCLA. Uh, was it just you guys or was it sort of like a revolving door of I'm envisioning like legend after legend that's that's sort of uh, heading to his place to visit him or was it just you guys? It really was different um, every time. Sometimes it was just me. Um, sometimes it was, you know, I would bring another coach or I'd bring um, a colleague with me. 
Um, sometimes it was, you know, I would be there and then you just, his alums or whoever he would schedule was just that revolving door you were referring to it. Um, it really, there wasn't a rhyme or reason. It was just, it was different every single week. And, um, you know, and I, I really, I wanted to find ways that I could invest in him. I mean, you know, obviously I feel closer to him than he would feel to me. I mean, he, he had so many people that considered him so dear. Uh, I'm just a, a really, really small piece of somebody who got to spend some time with him. But, I, you know, he loved lemon custard ice cream, and it only came out at Baskin Robbins so often. And so um, sometimes I wouldn't come on Tuesday. I'd come whenever lemon custard ice cream was available um, because, you know, just the, anything you could do to um, invest in him because he asked for nothing. And he allowed so many people to invade his world and his time on such a consistent basis that – um, it was just, it's always a real challenge to go, how can I invest in you, coach? How can I say thank you to you? Um, you know, and you can only write so many thank you notes. But, um, you know, he really was incredible. And it really it took a different form every single time I went. Coach, I don't mean to put you on the spot because uh, I know you've shared already a ton of stories. But was there this this one, you know, is there a special moment? Is there one conversation that really resonates? And I know before I said, hey, what's that one piece of advice? And you, um, you know, you, you chuckled at the the one term, but just in terms of like that, that one moment, if I said to you, hey, it, it's that one time you were at his place or the one time he was, uh, you spent time with him that, that sort of stands out to you, that unforgettable type moment. I think it's a principle as much as it is a moment because um, okay. one of the things I'm really wired differently than coach. I mean, he might, uh, he, I'm, I'm, he's this quiet guy that spoke into a, you know, a, a program rolled up in his hand and I'm a raving lunatic on the sidelines. Um, you know, but one of the things I used to always say to him is, you know, what's your advice? What would you do if you, if, you, if I had the opportunity to become a head coach, you know, cause I didn't know him um, when I was a head coach, uh, you know, but I kept always talking about my philosophy or my strategic plan or what my vision would be, and I wanted him to give me feedback on it. And I would always say his advice, and he goes, well, I really don't give advice. I only share my opinion. And he said, and the reason I don't share advice is that I don't want you to try to become like me. You're different than me. Mm. You need to become the best you that you have in mind, that you need to become as consistently excellent in your personality. And he would refer back to his um, how his wife and him, you know, complimented each other so much. And she would never, he would never want her to be like him, um, that she was wired differently and complimented him and pushed him in ways that, um, that were unique to her. And he would always caution me and say, you know, don't, don't try to be, um, you know, like me. Don't try to be the best you. And I really, there was so much pressure. I remember going into my press conference to accept the job at UCLA, and I was overwhelmed. I mean, in the front row was Nan Wooden and Rayford Johnson, and they were, you know, had been really loyal people to me for a long time, but I was overwhelmed by how do I carry on this legacy? How do I say thank you to this man who poured so much into me? And then it came over me that Coach wouldn't want, wouldn't wanted me to do that. He would have wanted me to just try to make each day my masterpiece, to try to be the best coach I could be within the personality and the gifts that I had been given. And I think that has been a pervasive thing because it's easy to want to, you know, compare what I'm trying to build to what he built or compare how am I living up to the advice that he gave or how he lived it. And sometimes that can be an overwhelming thought, but I always go back to he would always say, Corey, I'm not going to give you my advice. I'm only sharing my opinion so that you can discover the best you that you're supposed to become, the philosophy you're supposed to, you know, um, acquire. And he talked about how he it took him 16 years um, to win his first title, and he talked about how long it took him to develop the pyramid of success. And people always want to talk about the 10 national championships in, you know, in such a short period of time, but people don't want to talk about how much he had to discover things on his own and how he had to adjust and you know, tweak the pyramid of success or adjust his philosophy to fit his personality so that he wasn't trying to be his Purdue coach or so on and so forth. And he just encouraged me to... Um, for me to rest in my principles and for me to rest in the gifts that I had um, that were uniquely given to me and to not try to be him or not try to be anyone else, but truly to try to be the best uh, me that I was created to be. And, you know, and that's, that really has freed me up 
Um, here I walk around, and I've got his den in my in the Hall of Fame, and I've got this you know huge note from him that he wrote me when I went to Florida State on my wall in my office, and oh, you know cool. it would be easy to be overwhelmed. But thankfully, um, really, what he taught me is freedom. And that um, that I had unique gifts that were different than his, and he, he wouldn't want me to change that any day at any time. Coach UCLA right now for you, dream job? Yeah, it's been amazing. I never would have thought. You know, it was one. Of, it's ended up being that dream job because I didn't know ever know if it was attainable. You know, I'm, I even had a, a, one of my best friends in the business is. Uh, a guy, um, he's an assistant coach up at Oregon, and he's like, you know, we're, he said, You're, we're really good friends, right? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And uh, and he said, you know, can I just ask you a personal question? And I said, sure. He goes, how in the heck did you get the UCLA job? You know, and <laughs> I, I, I'm just not, I'm just not uh, you know, it was not in my realm. And on paper, I was the least qualified of the people they brought in. And, um, you know, so... Yes, the answer is yes. It's just really a cool place. And I think one of the reasons it's my dream job is because um, of the influence that Coach Wooden's had on me and the incredible friendship that he allowed us to have and, um, you know, just how he has um, influenced me in such a deep and meaningful way. And so, yes, it is a dream job in in a large part because of uh, his influence in my life. Coach, you are uh, you're fantastic. Really appreciate you you giving us some time here. And I, I want to be honest with you. I, next time I'm on campus, I want to see that letter that's up on your wall in your office. Well, you bet. You're welcome anytime. But thank you for doing this. Thanks. You know, I one of my big burdens, Mike, is that um, I I really don't want people to forget, and I really want to keep his legacy alive. I want to keep his principles. Uh, fervent and um, so thank you thank you for letting Steve and I tell our stories with Coach Wooden and and for caring about uh, partnering with us to keep his legacy alive as well no my pleasure and like I said I mean I I, just being on the west coast now I have a a really a greater appreciation of of what he was able to accomplish and kind of everyone knows the 10 national titles and everyone will talk about the winning streak but uh, you know the more I've talked to more people sort of on the side in the basketball world, they always make reference to all the other things besides basketball. So I just thought it'd be cool. And I know you had a great relationship with him and I know Lav did as well. So really do appreciate you giving us uh, some time and sharing some of those stories. Uh, Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for doing it. Really cool of Lav and Corey Close to come on the show and and share some of those stories. Really unique. It's different. Uh, You hear about the stats and the numbers that John Wooden put up, but to know what he was like away from basketball. I think that's really what makes him unique because he is the greatest basketball college basketball coach this country has ever seen. The accomplishments speak for themselves, but really the impact he had on a lot of people in that program and around basketball is truly special. I know I say this at the end of every show. Can't thank you guys enough for listening uh, and continue to spread the word. If you have some friends that listen to podcasts and you think they might enjoy some of these stories, and remember, every single episode is evergreen. You can check out any of them at any time. Uh, Follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Yam. The Facebook is Mike Yam is the Facebook page. Also the same thing on Instagram at Mike underscore Yam and and, uh, you know if you see the tweet and you like the show continue to spread it because I know I keep hammering this point home but I don't have the big podcast network to continue to drive uh, the distribution of this show so really kind of rely on you guys to to help me out with that aspect of it so once again uh, rate subscribe and review on iTunes or Stitcher Blog Talk Radio tune in however you're taking in these podcasts and, and spread the word thanks again for listening